I want us to look at uh, Palm Sunday today. It's Palm Sunday. Um, in 2017, January 2017, Sally and I were privileged to be in Jerusalem. And so I want to set the context for you here, both geographically and then as, as John develops his gospel before we read the scriptures. Um, if you're in Jerusalem and you go to the Temple Mount, uh, where the temple used to be and where now the Dome of the Rock is, and you look east, uh, the first thing you'll see is the Mount of Olives. It's only about 500 yards away. It's so close you think, well, that can't be it, can it? And, and, it, and it can be, and it is. And between you and the, and the Mount of Olives is the Kidron Valley. So if you walk from one to the other, you have to go down and then up. And if you go farther east toward the River Jordan, you go about two miles and you come to a a village called Bethany, okay? And that's where you connect with this text. Because um, in John 11, the chapter before we're going to read from, you have the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And so, you know that story, probably a famous story about how Jesus wept and went to the tomb and called him out. And, and it's, it's just one of those great stories uh, in the scriptures. True story. Um, and so, the, the, uh, the Jewish authorities are really um, bent out of shape at Jesus, you might say. And uh, so many people are... Are, are becoming uh, followers or, or curious about Jesus. They even plot to kill Lazarus. Uh, that's in the text uh, in chapter 11. It says, from that day on they made plans to put him to death in verse 53 of chapter 11 because Lazarus was a problem. Uh, he was a living testimony to the power of Jesus um, and who Jesus was. Well, then in the beginning of 12, we won't read the beginning of 12, uh, Jesus, you know, is on his way to Jerusalem uh, to die, and he comes to Bethany. I think the, the, um, in, in time, I think the raising of Lazarus has been uh, quite a while before. But the way John constructs his gospel, you have, you have uh, the raising of Lazarus, and then uh, Mary uh, anoints Jesus for his burial in the first few verses. And uh, we're going to take it up in chapter 12. So he's come to Bethany, and he's traveling from east to west, and, and he comes to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you were standing there, if I, if I took all of you, and we just all of a sudden are on the Temple Mount, and, I, and we're looking at the Mount of Olives, and I said to you, where do you think Jesus might have come, come across the Mount of Olives? You'd all get the standard guess. You know, everybody thinks the same thing. All the scholars, you would get it too, because as you look at the Mount of Olives, there's kind of a natural saddle there in one place. There's a road coming through that, what you'd call a saddle, uh, and there's been a road there uh, from time immemorial. And, And so if you had been in Jerusalem, and Jesus is coming over the mountain 500 yards away, a lot of people, kind of like a parade, people are whooping it up, you would have turned and said, what's going on? And this is what was going on. I want us to think about that Palm Sunday, this Palm Sunday. Okay, let's pray. Lord, help us to understand what you're doing. 
uh, as you uh, reveal uh, what happened and more importantly as we think about what you want to work into our lives uh, by this passage today on this Palm Sunday. Uh, Lord, we believe your word uh, is the infallible rule of faith and practice. Uh, you sent it to conform us to the image of Christ. We pray in his name you'll do that. And you was a, use a wretchedly sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 12 at verse 12. The next day, that is the day after he's anointed for his burial by Mary, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast, that is the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written in Zechariah 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the, so the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone out after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. 
The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, and you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade. This is God's word. It won't fade. It will abide forever and forever. You've heard the words, no doubt. Let the celebration begin. It might be at the Super Bowl. It's two minutes left in the game. Your team's ahead by 35 points. Uh, The coach is doused by some kind of Gatorade or something. And they bring out the uh, championship caps. And the celebration begins before the end of the game. If it was on the losing team side, (laughs) you would think, those people are weird, right? Why are they celebrating? They're about to lose the game. Well, this passage is a, is a strange kind of passage in that, uh, in that regard. Um, it looks like the losing team is celebrating, right? I mean, Jesus is going to go die before very long. They don't know that, but we look at it, theologically speaking, well, the guy that's going to lose is going to die. It's an unusual sort of celebration at the best, isn't it? Jesus rides in as a king on a donkey, to die. And they're whooping it up. Well, they don't know. They'll figure it out pretty soon. When Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he's not welcomed by the movers and shakers of that city. Uh, He's not given the keys of the city. Uh, Later, he's going to be crucified by, well, the Roman, the religious and political leaders of the city. But by faith, we know that this celebration is not premature, right? Uh, In the short term, there'll be a loss, a big loss, an unfathomable loss. But it's the right thing. It is the right thing because Jesus is going to win the game. He is going to win the game. I'm going to point you forward uh, to Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 11 and following, and you find Jesus... Again, coming into the holy city, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to smite, strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, we call... John 12 and Matthew 21 and the other appearances of the triumphal entry, uh, the triumphal entry. But Revelation 19 is the really triumphal entry, right? And this one is just a foreshadowing of the one to come. There's going to be a short-term loss, but a long-term victory, both for Jesus and for all those who are on his team by faith. There had been a growing interest in Jesus 
for his entire ministry. Uh, back in John 6, he fed the 5,000 and they thought, hey, this guy's got some, some serious ability. Uh, and more recently, I pointed out in John 11, he had raised Lazarus and, 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 and created uh, a lot of, uh, of interest. But, of course, the Jewish leaders were not interested because he was on their turf. And if he keeps going, they will, he will take their turf. So there are mixed reactions uh, to Jesus here. Uh, some want to worship him and others want to crucify him. And, you know, it's really like that today, actually. Some love and some hate the Lord of glory. So I want to look at two, three points today, three points today. And first, I want to look at the celebration of the Christ. My title is The Celebration Has Already Begun. And they're celebrating Jesus. When I say the celebration of the Christ, I don't mean the celebrating that Jesus does. I mean the fact that people celebrate him. Now, in those days, triumphal entries were not an unusual sort of thing. Uh, a returning victorious army uh, would, would, would have a triumphal entry. We might call it a ticker tape parade. If you go to the Roman Forum and, and you look at the Arch of Titus uh, that was built following his sacking of Rome in 70 AD, uh, it will show a, a, an entry, a triumphal entry of, of Roman soldiers leading Jewish people uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, bondage uh, as prisoners uh, coming in. Uh, but they had these things, these triumphal entries, these ticker tape parades that we would speak of today. And, and there's this large crowd. If you look at verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. I actually think it, it's hard to tell because if you read through here and look at the word crowd, uh, three, four, five times in the passage, it talks about the crowd. I actually think there's two crowds here. Uh, there's a crowd that has come with Jesus. Remember, he came up through Jericho, uh, which is right at the Jordan River. Uh, and he's come up to Bethany, and he's raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and they thought, whoo, I'd like to follow this guy a while, and there's this, that crowd that comes with him as he comes over the Mount of Olives. Well, there's a group in Jerusalem that's heard about all this stuff, and they come out, and the two crowds kind of meet there um, at, at, at Jesus. And, and, and yet, and yet, are they celebrating Jesus as the Christ? Not really. Most of them are just thinking, well, he fed me, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, or he raised Lazarus from the dead. This guy can do a lot of things. And they had a nationalistic hope. The word Hosanna means save us, but more importantly, maybe save us now. God save us now. They thought that Jesus was going to save them now from the Romans as a militaristic Messiah, who would, who would defeat them and usher them into some kind of new uh, golden age. But their hope is very nationalistic. As, as a, he's going to bless the nation uh, that, that he had a kingdom that would be of this world, so to speak. So, so the, it's not an unusual thing that there would be this kind of a ticker tape parade, okay? And it, it's not unusual that they would have used palm branches either. Uh, they were... Uh, common in these celebratory contexts back then. Uh, we, I don't, I, who's seen a coin lately? But it used to be on American coinage, on the 
backside, I think, of the dime, there was a, 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 palm, a palm branch curve. You remember that? You know, there were, this is not an unusual thing uh, that there would be uh, palm branches uh, in celebratory con- context. Um, and, and they're celebrating this nationalistic liberator Messiah as he comes in. Notice they talk about him coming in the name of the Lord. What is it to come in the name of the Lord? Uh, what does it mean in their context? What does it mean in our context? Um, another story, I'm not trying to bring all these things out. They just they fit so much. I, w- I represented the PCA one time at the General Assembly of the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And the meeting was in Edinburgh. And they talked about the fact that the Lord High Commissioner was coming to address the assembly. And I said, American, you know, who's the Lord High Commissioner? And they looked at me like, you dumb American, you know. And, and the Lord High Commissioner is the Queen's representative. And I still remember preceding the Lord High Commissioner, there's a man coming and he's carrying a, it's a, well, we call it a mace, this big silver uh, thing, a tall thing. What is this? He's coming in the name of the queen. He speaks for the queen. He represents the queen. Oh, Jesus is coming in the name of the Lord. He speaks for the Lord. He has the Lord's authority. Uh, He is the representative of the king. So he's coming with power. He's coming in authority. He's coming to do God's will, which will be to die to save the people. When he dies, they will put over him king of the Jews. Oh, so he is the king. He is the king. In Matthew 21, when Matthew is talking about the triumphal entry, Matthew quotes more extensively from Zechariah 9, which is the prophecy that foretells this event. In, in, in Zechariah 9, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus is coming in humility. He's coming to die. I've already read to you from Revelation 19 when he does not come in humility. He will not come on a donkey in Revelation 19. He will not come to die. He will come to rule and reign. And they didn't get it. If they'd gotten it, I think it would have dampened their zeal considerably. Because they wanted to be liberated from the Rome, from the Romans. It should have forced upon them a reinterpretation of what is the Messiah's role. And he would bring the peace of God, the shalom of God that Monty prayed about earlier. So I think three points stand out from the fact that he came, and, and John brings this out, that he came... Um, on the, on, in, as a humble, gentle king. And it's obvious Jesus, Jesus would not be presented by John as a, as, a, as a warrior king. 
in this event. Um, um, he would proclaim peace to the nations. And, and Zechariah talks about the blood of the covenant being a release for prisoners. And, and that's what Jesus is about in his first coming. Um, he's the gentle king here. He's on a war horse later. Secondly, I want to look at four perspectives on this celebration from the point of view of the people that were there. Uh, if you look at verse 16, the disciples are just confused or perplexed or they just don't get it. In verse 16, it says his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And, and that's true, but, but they don't get it. They don't get it. Um, um, why did they get it later? But they didn't get it now. Why did they get it later? It's the Holy Spirit. Some of you have gotten this. You understand what's happening here. Why do you understand it? The Holy Spirit. Why do people not get it? Lack of the Holy Spirit. I mean, nobody, no matter how intelligent, no matter how smart, no matter... I don't care whether they read Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and any other language you need to read the Bible in its original uh, languages. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you have what Dr. Machen called a fundamental lack of spiritual endowment, you'll never get it. And they didn't have it at that time. The Holy Spirit had not been poured out on them. Well, secondly, so that's the disciples. That's their perspective. They're just confused. Uh, the crowds, I pretty much covered this, but I'll just reiterate it. The crowds from Bethany are coming because they know Jesus has raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. They've seen Lazarus. They knew, they saw him go into the tomb. They saw him after he'd been raised from the dead. Um, they, they could not be suppressed. They could not be suppressed. This group that's seen it with their eyes, their own eyes. I saw he was dead. He's alive. The ones that come out from Jerusalem, I think, have heard the stories. And I think they're interested in miracles more than they're interested in the man behind the miracles. Thirdly, there's the Pharisees. And they're just really hacked off. Because for them, it was all about power and control and prestige. Uh, that Jesus is on their turf. Uh, back in chapter 11... At verse 47, uh, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Yeah. He's going to get our place. He's going to get our turf. He's going to get our nation. And, and I could read you other passages through here that show that the Pharisees are indeed very, very worried about Jesus because they think he's going to displace them. <laughs> I would think if God came in the flesh that we should let him displace, you know what I mean? Anything he wants to displace in my life or yours, let's, that we, we should accede to that, right? I mean, that would be wisdom, right? Uh, but again, they have a fundamental lack, I think, of spiritual endowment. Interestingly, and you can miss this pretty easily, the fourth group uh, that's mentioned in the text is in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship the feast were some Greeks. 
some Greeks. I mean, it's kind of like just right in the middle of the passage, he mentions there's some Greeks that showed up. They're there. Interestingly, just before that verse, verse 20 and verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, look, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world, the world has gone after him. And so after the Pharisees say the world has gone after him, then there's this illustration of it. Yes, the Greeks, they, the Greeks are going after him. And so then Jesus said, it's time for me to die. It's time for me to go to the cross and die. What's your perspective on this? Like the crowds? Like the disciples? Like the Pharisees? Like the Greeks? What's your perspective? Do you get it? Does it seem weird to you? How do you view it? And lastly, there's the, what I call the real reason to celebrate Jesus in this passage. And that's his glorification. Um, In verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, this hour is a delayed hour. It's a delayed hour. Repeatedly, Jesus delayed this coming together of all the forces that we see at work here. In John 2, he said, my hour has not yet come. That was at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. In John 7, he said, his hour had not yet come, so no one laid a hand on him. They would later lay a hand on him, but not in John 7. In John 8, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But now here, as the world symbolically in the coming of the Greeks, as the world comes to Jesus, he declares, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It was a delayed hour, but it was a destined, a designated hour. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that He might, so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And here Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is my soul troubled, in verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In other words, can I pray, Father, save me from this hour of death? He's, that's why I came. He says, for this purpose, I've come to this hour. The whole purpose of His coming is focused on this. To go to the cross and die bearing the wrath that our sins deserve. A delayed hour, a designated or destined hour. But it's an hour of glorification. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. This This is a... An interesting, interesting passage, both for Jesus and you and me, how we should live our lives. He says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, that's obviously an agricultural analogy or illustration. You know, you take a a seed, a, a grain of what's wheat here, okay, grain of wheat, you put it in the ground. You can keep this grain of wheat... But then you got one grain of wheat. You plant it, it grows up, you have many 
grains of wheat. So you have a fruitfulness if the original grain of wheat dies. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came. That's why I'm going to die. Um, that, That if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm going to die and I'm going to bear much fruit. That's what he's saying. And it's not just, I think, by his resurrection and his ascension and his session at the right hand of the majesty on high that he's glorified. But as I said in a sermon last week or the week before, I think he's glorified in his death. I think they saw it. I think, I think people who the Spirit were at work in saw it. You'll remember the centurion. He's on the cross and he dies. And the centurion sees it and he said, Surely this was the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God. Easy to see his glory uh, when he's raised from the dead and ascends into heaven and, and by faith see him seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But the centurion saw it in his death, and others did as well. How does that apply to us? Well, look at verses 25 and 26. He's just talked about a seed dying, and if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then in verses 25 and 26, he applies that to you and me. Whoever loves his life loses it. If you don't let the seed of your life die, you're going to lose it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's telling us to do what he did. He's saying, plant your life. Die to self. Become a servant like I became a servant. And he promises glory. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will what? Honor him. The Father will glorify him. Oh. Oh. I'm going to take a guess, okay? Some of you have fantasized about being president of the United States. Right? And what you would do. Right? You've done that. I'm not the only sinner in the crowd. Come on. Fess up. No, I'm kidding. Some of you fantasized about winning the lottery and what you'd do with the money. How would you, how would you, how would you use that? And you said, I've set up a charitable foundation. Really? Okay. Um, why do you do that? Why do you do that? You and I are wired for glory. We're made in the image of God. God of glory. You're wired for glory. And you want glory. And I think rightly. Listen, don't go out and say I'm a heretic, okay? Listen carefully. How do you get the glory that your heart longs for? Do you get it directly? Or do you get it indirectly? Jesus is saying indirectly. If you want glory, you've got to die first. You've got to die to self. Die to your agenda. Live for his agenda. Oh, Really? But the world says, if I want glory, i got to go straight for it. And Jesus says, 
The world's lying to you. Because look at the lives of those that went straight for it. Have they experienced the shalom of God, the peace of God? Do they feel feel fulfilled? I know I've said this before, but you know, if, if you could get the glory your heart longs for that way, the movie stars would be the most fulfilled, happy people in the world. And I think a charitable assumption is that they're a miserable lot. <laughs> they're a miserable lot. They're neurotic. Got to stay on the cutting edge of being out there. The world's glory, friends, will not satisfy your heart. The, wor- the, the glory that you're made for, that you're wired for, has got to come to you indirectly. It will not come to you directly. It comes by dying to self the seed dying, and it becomes fruitful. This is a a celebration. A celebration that had already begun. It may be a bit early in one sense. You know, we wait for the Revelation 19, but it's surely prophetic. It's not cocky. By faith, we see that it represents reality. I think all Christian joy is is an early celebration in one sense or another of what will happen in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes again. We we talk about the the Lord's Supper as celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now, I won't get any argument if I say we're not celebrating this stuff. We're celebrating Jesus, right? Please, if you want to discuss that one, catch me later, but I'm not going to spend any time with that, all right? We're not celebrating this stuff. We're celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating a person. We're celebrating a king. We're celebrating his ability to give life to the dead. We're celebrating his victory over the ruler of the world who has been cast out, that is the devil. We're celebrating his death in our place as our substitute. In short, we're celebrating a very great salvation, which is good news. So here he comes on a donkey. Later he comes on a white war horse. Here he comes to die. Later he comes to reign. Not everybody's celebrating, though. Some are intrigued. Others are incensed. Right? They are. So when Jesus comes riding into your life, are you intrigued? Are you incensed? Do you want to worship and celebrate? They were disappointed because Jesus didn't come in just the way they wanted him to come. And I think that's a problem today. Many of us want Jesus to come in a certain way. And we have got confused views. And I send you back to the Bible, back to the Bible. Who is Jesus? What is he for? What's a Christian life supposed to look like today? There's so much error out there today about those things. Are you ready, like Jesus, to give up your life in this world in service to him so that you can keep your life into eternal life? That is the key to happiness. So, the celebration has already begun, and you can join it by faith. 
You can believe in His person, believe in His work, rejoice in His great salvation. It looks like the losing team was celebrating, but it's the winning team, and you can see it by faith. Let's pray. Lord, our God, uh, thank you for coming in the person of Jesus. Thank you for coming to die. Thank you for delaying your glory so that you could save us, Lord Jesus. That was the big thing in your temptation when the devil said, take your glory now, don't go to the cross. That was the big thing now when you said, shall I ask to be delivered from this hour? I've come for this hour. It's why why I came to die. Lord, let us seek the glory you want for us indirectly. And forgive us that we sought it directly. In Jesus' name, amen.